want to dive into this message today, and I'm going to preach to you today about being people of the kingdom of God. And if you're new with us today, we've been in this series where we're going through our DNA as a church family, which I think is really the should be the DNA of all Christian people. Um, but this is our specific DNA as a church. And who are we as free people? And when God gave us this vision of our identity, he gave us these five axioms of our identity, that we're people of the word, we're people of the spirit, we're people of one another, which we talked about last week, uh, we're people of the kingdom, which is what we're going to talk about today, and uh, we are people for the world. And this is who we are, because this is who God is. And we need to know who we are before we can start doing what God's called us to do. We like to say we're free people. It's who we are. It's what we do, right? But as I've said every week, it's important that we get that in the right order because we don't want to start doing in order to prove who we are. That's a performance trap. That's one of the tricks of the devil against people who really love Jesus. We want to know who we are. Jesus said, you'll bear much fruit if you abide. Abide in him. We're drawing from the source. We got to know who we are. And so we're always checking who are we as people, what's our identity, and then we look at our actions and what we're doing for the Lord, and is that lining up? And uh, if it's not, then that's where we need to get back to, beholding Jesus, beholding Jesus, who is Jesus, abiding in Jesus. That's why worship is so important, worshiping Jesus, seeking his face, setting our gaze upon him, beholding him in his word, beholding him in the Holy Spirit, beholding him in one another, and we're going to behold him as the king of all kings today, who is the leader of the kingdom. And so I want to talk about being people of the kingdom. This is who we are. And this wasn't my idea. This is Jesus' idea. Um, and so before we even dive in, I need to define what a kingdom is. Because how many of you know, we don't live in kingdoms anymore, for, for the most part. There's a few kingdoms still on the earth. But for the most part, we live in democracies we live in sovereign nations that are governed by republics. Most nations on earth are, are going to this model and this strategy, government by the people and for the people. And so when you go to govern, when you go to make a law, when you go to do anything, there's, it's not just one person that makes a decision. It's, it's a whole consensus of a whole lot of people, and there's red tape, and there's all these things about government that we don't like, right? Um, that's the world we live in. The world of the Bible was a world of kingdoms. And you see this all throughout the Old Testament. These kings are fighting these kings. And it was a lot because of tribalism. Um, and the way they would pick a king is, who's the biggest guy, who is the best warrior, who can kill lots of people? And that's, that's how they picked a king. They wanted the strongest guy. Um, if you think, that's, you read in the Old Testament, Og, king of Bashan, he, he slept on an iron bed 15 feet long. This, this dude was a giant, all right? So, so if we were still doing things this way, Shaq would be our choice in America, all right? If you doubt that, I'm going to give you a sword and Shaq a sword in his prime, in his prime, amen, church? And he will cut you down. It, you, would, you would hack Shaq's shin and then he would cut you in half, all right? And so, sorry about that to be so graphic, but that's what would happen. So Shaq would be our king. This was how they would pick kings. And then that king, he's got absolute authority. Whatever he says goes. They knew authority in the time of Jesus. They understood authority. 
Now, often the kings would have people under them. They would delegate authority to you. There was still a structure. There was still a hierarchy. And this is what a kingdom looks like. If you look at Pharaoh, when he delegated his authority to Joseph, he's like, you're, you're second in command only to me. But other than that, you have absolute power. And whatever Joseph said was the law. Okay, that's a kingdom. That's what it looks like. We need, as Christian people, we need to get this kingdom language in our hearts, in our souls. Because yes, we're citizens of America, but we have a greater citizenship, and it's not a democracy. It is not governance by let's vote on it. It is governance by King Jesus. And even though Rome fell and America came forth, he didn't change his kingdom to a democracy. It's not government by the people. It's government by King Jesus. So what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a domain or territory, a region under the rule of a king. How important was the kingdom of God? Or in Matthew, it says the kingdom of heaven. And that was Matthew's way of out of reverence for the Jews. They had such reverence for God, they wouldn't say the name of God. So they would say the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is the same thing in the scriptures. Same exact thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it's the kingdom of Jesus. Matthew 3, 1 and 2, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, has come near. This is John's message that he would preach everywhere, right? Repent, for the kingdom has come near. Matthew four seventeen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach after John was put in prison. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Is, Jesus is like, I like John's message because John's message is my message. Repent, turn, stop believing God's not real. Stop believing God's not here. Stop believing Jewish people that God's given up on you and you're on your own and he's forsaken you. Repent of all that and start believing. Why? Because the kingdom is here. Why was the kingdom at hand? Why was the kingdom near? Because the king of heaven had left heaven and come to earth and demons are freaking out. He's here. What's he doing here? Why have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Like, what's happening? The king is here. He's on the earth. And he's revealing himself. Ah! Principalities. Freaking out. Why? The king is here. This is Jesus' message, though. Matthew 24, 14. He's talking about the signs of the end times. And he goes through this big list. And listen to what he says. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when we're preaching the gospel, the word gospel just means good news. He, Jesus, Jesus said it's a gospel of the kingdom. Now here's our problem in America. When we say gospel, we're talking the cross and the resurrection, and that's it. And what, that's, by and large, what 95% of churches mean when they say the gospel. Jesus died for you in a cross, rose again, you can be saved of your sins. Awesome. That's part of the gospel. It's part of it. 
that right there, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ dying for you for the forgiveness of your sins and rising again, that's how you get into the kingdom. Once you're in the kingdom, now what? And that's why so many churches have problems. That's why so many Christians are like, I got saved, now what? And so many churches are like, we don't know because all we ever preach is the cross. Get saved. Now what? The now what is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus is the fullness of what Jesus taught. And salvation is absolutely essential. It's how we come in. Without the cross, we can't get into the kingdom. But there's a whole lot more. And Jesus said, after the cross, after the resurrection, you're going to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, this is the Lord's Prayer. He's teaching us how to pray. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that interesting? They didn't say your church come. Your kingdom come. Your domain, territory where you rule and reign, Jesus, come on the earth. So when we think of kingdoms, domains, we think of territories. So, so America has this land mass. Canada has a land mass. We, we associate it with places in proximity. So what is the place in proximity when King Jesus takes territory? The way the kingdom comes, and you need to understand this, is human hearts. The way the kingdom advances is one human heart at a time. Scripture says God is our inheritance, God himself in heaven. And starting now when you get saved. He's your inheritance. But this, God says that we are his inheritance. So God is our promised land. We are his promised land. Our hearts are the territory that God wants back. And he wants to win you back from the enemy. So every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ... Guess what? God just took new territory on the earth. Now, people have authority over places and regions. You, if you own a house, you own property, which means you have authority over that property, which means if you're a Christian person and King Jesus has authority over you, then guess what? Your property is in the kingdom of Jesus, literal territory. So the way the kingdom advances is through human hearts, but you do see on the earth there are regions where a whole lot of human hearts have given territory to King Jesus, and they live that out in their communities, and you will find cities, regions, even nations that are dominated by the kingdom of God. Like, there are, there are nations that I've went to, and you get off the plane, and you feel the spiritual darkness. And you're like, whoa, why is that? Because the devil has a lot of control there because there's not a lot of people who are given authority to King Jesus. There's principalities everywhere. The demonic realm is separated into principalities. These are governors and rulers, kings of Satan, if you want to call it that. 
Um, I know you thought that was the band Kiss, Kings and Satan Service, all right, all you 70s children. But it's actually, <laughs> somebody got it, but somebody, <laughs> burn the CDs, Kings and, okay. <laughs> or the vinyl, was it vinyl back then? But actually, principalities means governors and rulers in the demonic realm. And they're separated out over nations. So everywhere's got them. But the way the kingdom comes is through people surrender to Jesus, and then we bring the kingdom through our obedience, which we'll talk about in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. And we push, that we disarm rulers and principalities. They've been disarmed by Jesus on the cross already. They're operating, but they're operating illegally. So when we bring the gospel and the fullness of the kingdom, they literally get disarmed, they get kicked out. And you start to see cities and regions that are just full of the Holy Spirit. And so I, re- I remember uh, going to, anybody ever been to Charlotte, North Carolina? I don't know about you, but I landed, I got off, I started driving around. I'm like, man, there's a lot of churches around here. Man, ooh, I just, there's a lot of Christians around here. You go in a store and you're just like, ooh, everybody's nice. Man, what is going on here? That place is just full of the Lord. You know the number one tourist attraction in Charlotte, North Carolina is the Billy Graham Evangelistic Museum. Do you know that? And there's a ton of amazing churches and ministries that are full of the Holy Spirit who are taking ground for the kingdom of God. And, and, and there's just, it's, an, it's, a, it's a stronghold of the kingdom of God. I believe that about Charlotte, North Carolina. It's amazing. Now you go to other cities in America, and I'm not going to name names. But you get out of the car, you're just driving into it, you're like, ooh, you f-. Mike, we, we've done this before. My wife's like, you feel that? And I'm like, nope, because I'm blissfully unaware because I'm not really a prophetic feeler. <laughs> She's like, ugh, oh, this atmosphere is bad stuff, you know? And uh-huh, uh-huh. And so that's why you see cities and nations that have an atmosphere of the kingdom or not, because it's all about the people's hearts. It's all about ministries. How many of you know uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned in our nation? So that's cool. Now it goes to the states. So we had a really important vote, and the people of Ohio voted to continue to allow abortion in in our state, uh, which was disappointing. Um, Because when we want to bring the kingdom, we want to bring it in its fullness. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And sin is a reproach to any nation. And if people don't know Jesus, there's a lot of Christians, the Christian mindset is, well, we shouldn't force our values on people. Here's the deal. Truth is truth. Sin is sin. And abortion harms people. It kills babies, but it harms the women. It harms the women. It causes strongholds. This is, this is literal truth. This isn't what I believe. This is the reality of what's happening. It damages their soul. And so we know that, okay? So if, if we can have righteous laws that prevent women from harming themselves because they're under deception. And in America, I realize in Rome and in the Bible, well, in the Bible, they didn't get into politics because they didn't have a say. Caesar just did what he wanted and he killed them all. It's not the same here. We get a vote, so we should vote, okay? Oh, the pastor's getting political. You know why I preach about this? And you know why I preach about uh, sexual morality and about marriage, they're not political issues to me. They are moral issues. And last time I checked, preachers are supposed to preach on moral issues for the people of God. 
And so, any Christian or church that you're hearing is saying, we shouldn't get into that, we shouldn't, they are under a demonic stronghold, and the devil is, that's a, that's a doctrine of demons that he's propagating to get them to believe that so that he can keep doing what he wants, which is deceiving people, to kill children, to plunge themselves into sexual depravity, to start believing they're the wrong gender and all kinds of stuff. And man, listen, I have compassion for those people, right? We don't sit in judgment on them because there's no shame because if you don't know, you just don't know, right? But we can have compassion and stand for truth. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. He said to the man he healed that was born blind, he said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What was that about? I don't know. What did the dude do after he could see that Jesus was like, you better stop that? I don't know. But Jesus called him out. He's like, hey, I didn't restore your sight so you can go sin. Because if you plunge into sin, now that you have eyes, you're going to be worse off than when you were blind. That's Jesus. See, the church in America needs the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus we make up to feel good about ourselves. So where was I? Ohio voted. (laughs) Ohio voted to keep abortion. And my wife and I, we were disappointed, but we saw a post um, by a well-known leader after, like, day after. And they said, Ohio, you know, votes to keep this. And and then the guy commented, well-known Christian leader, he said, pastors and leaders in Ohio, you've got some work to do. And my wife and I read that, and we were sobered, and we were like, he's absolutely right. That's not passing in Tennessee. Why is that? Kingdom of God. Why is that? I, I don't know. I don't know the history of Tennessee. I don't know why the South is, is more into Jesus than the North. I, I don't know. There's reasons. I don't know the reasons. But we live in Ohio. This is our territory. And what some Christians do is, I don't like it here because... It's not kingdom of God fully. And Tennessee or Dallas, Texas or, you know, these, these outposts of the kingdom, Charlotte, that looks real good. I think I'm just going to move there because life will be easier. If you're apostolic or if you're mission-minded, that does not sit well with you. Yeah, let's all move to where the kingdom of God is fully on the earth so that the rest of the world can go to hell. That's a bad idea. Jesus didn't do that. He established the kingdom in Jerusalem, and then he said, now go. Now you're going to spread out. You're going to start here. You're going to get the kingdom outpost here. You're going to take over here. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to go to Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Sin is yeast, Jesus said. He also said the kingdom is yeast. So the kingdom is supposed to be spreading throughout the whole batch of dough. So the devil gets a little yeast of his yeast in people, and it spreads. Jesus gets a little of his yeast in people, and it spreads, and it takes over, and it kills the yeast of the enemy. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke about the kingdom more than any other topic, and he wasn't talking about the cross. The cross is the beginning. It's how we get in. Now what? It's about how we live. 
So what's it mean to be the people of the kingdom? I want to talk about three things it means. Number one, people of the kingdom are people who live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. Jesus replied, John 3, 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Colossians 1, 13, for he has rescued us, Jesus, from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and brought, in, brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what's scripture telling us? Jesus said you can't see the kingdom, can't, you can't be in the kingdom unless you're born again. He says it two different ways in that same passage. So when we accept Christ, when we're born again, we're, we become children of God, we're adopted, which means, boom, we're in the kingdom. He has just rescued you from the kingdom of darkness, all right? Now I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take a risk right now. How many of you have seen Chronicles of Narnia or read the books? Please. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. All right. It's because I threw the books in there. If I'd said the movies, it'd be like three people. Anyways, it's a really good allegory. C.S. Lewis wrote that as an allegory for the Christian faith. And Edmund, the second son, buys into the lie of the white witch. And so he comes under her rulership. And then Aslan, who represents Jesus, makes a way for Edmund to be able to switch sides, to come back to the right side. And so when we think about domains and territories in our culture, in our lives, it's like a civil war is going on. Because the whole world was under the power of darkness and under the, uh, the power of the devil until Jesus came. So King Jesus comes spreading light, and one by one as he's winning hearts, he's taking back territory. And, and, and if you're under the lie of the devil, you're on the devil's side. You don't have to be a devil worshiper to be under the kingdom of darkness. The original lie of Adam and Eve was you can be your own gods. You know, you can be like God. Anyways, see you guys later. You do what you want. That's what Satan wants. He wants, number one thing he does is, is works by his deception. And then once you're aware he's there, he goes to intimidation and fear. That's it. That's his strategies. So if you are here today and you're like, I just don't buy into this religion stuff. I just don't think that stuff's real. You know, I just, I'm my own person. I'm a free person. I do what I want. You are in bondage, my friend. We're all subject to either Satan and under his power and control and influence or King Jesus. It's one or the other. And if you're an unbelieving person who's like, yeah, I don't know about this. I just think this guy, I just, I just don't buy into religion. Come sit in a deliverance prayer session with me where somebody literally has demons and it's not mental illness. Well, how can you tell the difference? You can tell the difference. <laughs> you can feel the difference. When their voice is talking and their mouth's not moving, you know there's a difference, okay? This is not mental. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of people in this church who've seen demons, who've seen spiritual. There's a lady in this church. The reason she got saved was she was a nurse, and years ago, years and years ago, she went into a psych ward, and they said, be careful, don't go in there, man. That lady's, ooh, I don't know. She goes in. She said, she was an atheist at the time. She said, I walked in this room. This woman was on the bed, restrained, freaking out, what we would call manifesting, majorly. She said, I could feel the evil when I walked in the room. And then this person's doing, you know, it's kind of like exorcist type of thing, you know, pretty crazy stuff. And she goes, all righty then. And this thought was planted. 
if the evil side is real, then maybe the good side is real too. So I'm just saying, you're either subject to Satan, if, you think, if you're prideful, like, oh, I don't believe in religion, so I'm, I'm better than all you because I'm not stupid. Uh-huh. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Not as smart as you think you are. You do not know as you ought to know, Scripture says. So you're subject to one or the other. When we get saved, King Jesus is so gracious. We've all been traitors. Think about this. Man, if you're a traitor in America, you get hanged. You used to anyways. You might get injected now. I don't know what they do. <laughs> it's death penalty for being a traitor. We've all been traitors to King Jesus. And King Jesus is love. God is love. So he came to save us so we could be with him for eternity. And even though we've all been traitors, even though we've all been doing what the devil wants in the kingdom of darkness, he says, if you will come and say what? Jesus is Lord. Master, Jesus is my king now. I want to switch sides. He goes, I'll save you. I will forgive all your rebellion. There's no consequence. You, you don't, you're not an indentured servant. You don't have to work it off when you come back into the kingdom of light. You're just forgiven. And by the way, I'll put a ring and a robe on you, and I'll give you a significant position in my army, and then you get to start kicking the butt of the other side. How gracious and awesome is King Jesus. But listen, if we're people of the kingdom, we are people who live under his rule and reign. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I politely ask. Is that what he said? He said, if you love me, you will do what I command. Jesus doesn't ask. He's king. If we love him, we'll do what he commands. When I want my kids to do something and I'm not messing around, I'll say, hey, go brush your teeth. It's time to go to bed. Hey, okay, we've played video games all day. <laughs> okay, it's time to turn it off. And if I start getting a little, little talk back, you know what I'm saying? If I start getting the looks, you know what I say? And that they know this is a warning. I go, I'm not asking. I'm not asking. I'm telling. Daddy has now given a command. And if you don't listen, there's going to be consequences. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. King Jesus is a king. Now, he's awesome. He's polite. He's loving. He's down to earth. He's gentle and humble. So we can relate to him. He feels like our friend. But there's a danger when such a holy, majestic leader is that down to earth. And the danger is you can dishonor him. The danger is you can take him for granted. The danger is you don't obey his commands. The danger is you see a sin and you think to yourself, man, this looks really fun and it would be really pleasurable and I really want to do it. <laughs> He'll forgive me. That is dangerous thinking for a subject of the kingdom because he is a king and he demands honor. And if that's your mindset as a Christian, I want to encourage you, go read Hebrews 10, starting in around verse 26, and see what Scripture has to say with someone who dishonors someone in the kingdom. 
who dishonors King Jesus. Go read the parable about the people invited to the wedding banquet and a whole bunch of people come and then the master of the banquet, that's King Jesus, finds someone who doesn't have wedding clothes on. Where are your wedding clothes? And then he kicks him out of the banquet. He was in, now he's out. Go read that. That's King Jesus. The clothes were given to guests. Every guest got a set of clothes back then. So this is a prideful person saying, I want in the kingdom. I want forgiveness. I want to go to heaven. I want to eat at the feast. I'm not putting your clothes on. The clothes are the righteousness of Christ, the way he calls us to live as his people. And if you won't put his clothes on, he says, you have no part with me. There's many other scriptural examples of people who come into the kingdom. You can say you're born again. You said a prayer. You got baptized. Okay. But if you're not living under the rule and reign of King Jesus, if you're not obeying his commands, then you need to check yourself. You need to examine yourself. You really do. And I know what a whole lot of churches and pastors would say to that. Well, I would ask if they were even saved in the first place. I don't want to get into that. Because you are defending a doctrine the Bible doesn't teach. The Bible teaches a assurance of salvation for those who, to the best of their ability, are living under the rulership of King Jesus. And we don't need to have fear in our hearts that he's going to snatch salvation away from us because we made a mistake or we slipped up. That's assurance of salvation. What it does not teach is once saved, always saved. You said a prayer so you can go live like the world. It does not teach that. That phrase is not in scripture. Jesus will never take his salvation from you. But you can't, no one can snatch them out of his hand. That's true. You can choose to get out of his hand though. It's always your choice. Are you obeying his commands? If he's your king, you will obey him. If you're not obeying him, you're in rebellion. And there's a whole lot of scriptures that say, the king himself will judge you. Go read Matthew 25. Lord, Lord, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, are coming in. It's all throughout scripture. He demands obedience. He demands it. What about grace? What about honor for what he did? Where's your gratitude? The American church is under a lie. And we come up with all these doctrines to make us feel better about not obeying Jesus and he'll forgive us and we all get to go to heaven. And then we wonder why the kingdom's not coming in America. And it's not just because the world's in rebellion, the culture we're trying to reach is rebellion, it's because the church is in rebellion against their king. That's why. So think of it this way. America in the 1800s, We'll say late 1800s. Most of the landmass that's now America was, was America by then. Most of it. We fought some wars over the western parts. We won them. Okay, all right, it's America. And yet, they, we, we know the stories. How many of you like westerns? Right? So you like what my mom calls shoot 'em up movies. <laughs> Watching one of those shoot 'em ups. She used to say that when I was a kid. Watching those shoot 'em up movies. Why Western shoot-em-ups? Because it was the Wild West. 
even though it was America, it was technically America, people in those places were not living under the rule and reign of America. America had awesome laws already by then. They just weren't obeying them because there weren't authorities that were enforcing the laws. And so even though they were in America, in the kingdom of America, they weren't living under the rule and reign of American law. And that is what we have in the kingdom of God today. So think about this. According to surveys, approximately 50% of people in America say that they're Christians and they go to church, which means we would assume they're part of the kingdom of God. So let me get this straight. 50% of America is part of the kingdom of God, and yet does America look like the kingdom of God? Rhetorical question, isn't it? Why not? Why doesn't it? Wild West. Kingdom's here. A whole bunch of people are like, I'm in the kingdom. Awesome. Are you obeying his commands? Because even if you're in and you're not obeying, you're in rebellion. And you're the reason the kingdom won't come in America. I was grieving and lamenting how hard it is to bring the kingdom a week or two in prayer. And I was thinking about the culture. I'm like, Jesus, nobody wants you. We're trying to give them you. You're awesome. You're amazing. They don't know how awesome you are. They don't want you. This is hard. I was weeping over it. And the Lord turns my thoughts to, that's not the reason. It's hard. It's not about the cultures in rebellion. My church, my people are in rebellion. That's why. And that's why the daily leadership of the Holy Spirit is so important. Daily scripture. When you get convicted, repent and turn to the lordship of King Jesus and obey his teachings in your life. Or else, not only are you not bringing the kingdom, you're in rebellion against the king. And that's not going to go. That Even if you get to go to heaven, you will be, you'll have a life full of discipline. That's Hebrews 12. Go read it. He loves you, and he disciplines those he loves. Go read uh, Revelation 3 and 4, 2 and 3 to the churches. He's going to discipline you. And until you learn to obey, he'll discipline you your whole life. You're an unruly child. He'll do it to save your soul because he loves you. I don't know about you. I, I, I was that way as a Christian. My first five years following Jesus, I was like, okay, all right, but I'm going to do what I want. I'm like, man, discipline, man, man. Why are you so hard on me? Because you're rebellious, Aaron. Because <laughs> if you continue down this path, you're going to fall off the cliff, man. Because I love you. Because I'm a good dad. And then this scripture blessed me as I was learning wisdom. His commands are not burdensome. And I started realizing everything I wanted that I was consuming and doing, I was just miserable. <laughs> so I finally started submitting and obeying his commands. And what do you know? Blessing, favor, my marriage got better, our family grew, and it got awesome. And, and he showed us how to be good parents. And just on and on. Oh, blessing and ministry, favor, awesome. Finances are blessed. Oh, wow, this is amazing. Blessing, favor, honor, awesome. Thanks, Jesus. You know, it's the easy way, which is King Jesus' way, or it's the hard way. All right? And man, and, and I'm not saying his way is easy because there's, there's a whole other type of hardship with that. And it's 
persecution from the world, and, but his favor's on you. And that's hard, but his favor's on you. <laughs> and so we got to live under his rule and reign. We'll never see the kingdom come unless the church is obeying Jesus. Which brings me to my next point. Number two, people of the kingdom, they bring the fullness of the kingdom of God. They bring the fullness of the kingdom of God. Jesus preached, repent, because the kingdom is at hand. It's here. And then he brought the fullness of the kingdom. How did he do that? He brought everything in creation under his authority. What did that look like? He preached forgiveness, and under his authority, he brought salvation by preaching forgiveness. So he brought sin under his authority through salvation. He brought disease under his authority when he healed people. He brought demons, rulers, principalities under his authority when he encountered them. In fact, a lot of the times you encounter in scripture, they see Jesus and they start begging him because they know he's king. He brought unbelief and hopelessness under his authority through miracles. (gasps) Turns out God's real and he's here and all things are possible for those who believe. He brought death under his authority through resurrection, and that was before his resurrection a few different times because he's King Jesus, because he rules the world, because all things are possible through him, because nothing's impossible through him. And then after he demonstrated all that, he commanded all his disciples to do the same thing. Matthew 10, 7 and 8, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. These are commands, by the way. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely, you've received, freely give. There's another passage where he says, preach the gospel, heal the sick, drive out demons. Preach the gospel. That's the cross. That's salvation. That is primary because you can see people healed and set free, but if they don't go to heaven, then they were healed and set free for a very short time on this earth. So we want to preach the gospel as the people of God. We will never back down from preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the centerpiece of the kingdom of God. It's how we come into the kingdom of God. It is our power and authority over uh, disease and demons. And without the cross, we don't have that. Demons hate it when you start praying the blood of Jesus over them. They start wigging out and they want to leave at that point. (laughs) And so... We love the cross. We preach the cross. We preach salvation. But most churches stop there. Jesus brought sickness and disease under his authority, and he taught, he commanded his disciples to do the same. Isn't it interesting? He didn't say, ask for the sick to be healed. He said, heal the sick. Drive out demons. Go do it. We have power and authority to do all of this. He even said, raise the dead. That's where (laughs) no church in America will disagree with preaching the gospel. Why? Because we know we can do it. I just talk and tell people what happened. The results are up to God. Okay? Heal the sick. Hold up. I don't have that power. Doesn't, doesn't, uh, what scripture is that? Same power is in us that rose Christ from the dead? In us. That's a lie to say you don't have that power. It's actually a lie you're believing. Heal the sick, drive out demons, raise the dead. That's what Jesus said. Bring the fullness of the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. 
All this is from God, the fullness of the gospel, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us because he is making his appeal through us, because we are his body, because if we don't represent Jesus, nobody's going to, because if we don't push back the forces of evil, nobody's going to, because if we don't preach and see people be saved, nobody's going to. Where's the ambassadors? Where's representatives? Which means he wanted us to represent him in his fullness. What did Jesus do? Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. He raised the dead. When you study the scriptures of things Jesus taught, did, about a third of his ministry was preaching, obviously for the kingdom, salvation, those types of things, how to live, instruction, preaching, healing the sick, and casting out demons. So if we stop at salvation, we're only doing a third of the ministry of Jesus. We're only representing a third of who Jesus is to this lost, sick, dying world. So Here's the cool thing about King Jesus. Because he's so humble, because he's so loving, because he's so trusting, because he's so wise, he does not just keep all his power and authority to himself. He goes, hey, everything I've been doing, I'm giving you all my power and authority. Go do it. Go do all of it. Y'all go. I'm making you kings and priests on the earth. This is why he's king of kings. It's not just because there are demonic kings he's ruling over and subjugating. It's because he's making his own people kings and queens on the earth. Now, we're not a king unto ourselves. We're under his rule and reign. We are executing his will. We are military police on the earth. So when we find demonic strongholds, we shouldn't fear them. We'd be like, that's my job to go in and break that up. And we don't do it physically because we fight with spiritual. We start with, we start with prayer, all right? You don't bust into the drug house with your guns and, you know, all that stuff. Although the movies want you to do it that way. <laughs> you start with prayer. You break down the strongholds. Then those drug dealers come out crawling to church begging Jesus for forgiveness. And the war is won. Let's go, right? But we're military police. Demons, even, even sin and unbelief, it's operating illegally on the earth. Because the church has been empowered to bring the kingdom of God. Let me show it to you in scripture. Think about these scriptures and the implications of them. Luke 10, 19. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Those are demons. And to overcome all the power of the enemy. All the power of the enemy. All the hosts of hell. Nothing will harm you while you're doing it. So many Christians fear deliverance ministry. Why? We fear. We fear. Well, they're going to hurt me somehow. You have a promise from Jesus. You're believing a lie. It's that simple. Luke twenty two twenty nine. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, Jesus said. Matthew sixteen nineteen. I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whew. Keys, binding, and loosing. Opening, closing doors. Authority. I have all access to do whatever needs to be done on the earth. It starts in the spiritual. That's why we can bind and loose in prayer, and it works. And then the kingdom comes. 
John 20, 23. Think about this. I've never heard a sermon on this. If you, he's talking to his disciples. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Whoa. How many have heard a sermon on that? Nobody. Ain't nobody touching that. I'm not touching it today either. (laughs) But here's my point. He gave us all power and authority. It's not ours. It's his. That's why you see some Christians try to bring healing or deliverance and it's not working. Why? Perhaps the reason they're not lined up with his power and authority. Maybe they're living in rebellion. It's not yours. It's his. You're executing his power and authority. Now, here's a big deal. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. Big stronghold in American church and church across the world in a lot of places, especially the West, Western European church, full of unbelief. Here's what we say. When, when I go through all that, hold on, pastor. You see, those things were for the apostles. See, healing the sick, you know, driving out demons, raising the dead, all that. Those power gifts, you know, miracles. Those were for the apostles until the church could be established. You know, really till we have the fullness of the word of God. And once we have the fullness of the word of God, then, then we didn't need the power of God. Does that sound stupid just as I'm saying it? Or is it just me? That's, what, that's, that's the big lie. We don't need all that now because we have the Bible. But wasn't the Bible canonized in like 325 or something? So what, what about those few hundred years in there? Oh, well, you see, Pastor, all that stuff was for the apostles and those on whom they directly laid their hands and prayed, and then those people got that power, and they could do it. Because, you know, see, they didn't have the fullness of the Bible yet, so they were kind of dumb. So dumb people and people in poverty, they need miracles more than we do. Like, we're not sitting in our rich American prison cells spiritually. (laughs) That's crazy. So, I'm not going to talk about experiences that completely dismantle that. Because the people that struggle believing that, if you talk about experiences like driving out demons or seeing healings and all that kind of stuff, um, they'll be tempted to say, well, that is the devil, which is what they said to Jesus, because it's the same demonic spirit that was in the Pharisees that's tempting them. Um, And those people, I want to help those people. And to do that, you have to use the Bible and the Bible only. And so that's what I'm going to do today. So was this only for the apostles? Well, let's look at some scriptures. What's the Great Commission? Make disciples, Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, every church agrees, and teaching them to obey. This is the definition of discipleship. Pretty much every church will agree with this. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Who? Who's he talking to? There weren't great crowds. He wasn't talking to the lesser 
generic disciples. There were only 11 there on that mountain. The 11 apostles. Definition of discipleship according to King Jesus. I want you to teach everybody. After you've made them a disciple and they're a believer now, discipleship, I want you to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Every single thing I've commanded you. Now, what did he command them? Did he command them to serve one another? Yes. Did he command them to love one another? Yes. Did he command them to bless and help the poor? Yes. Did he command them to visit those in prison and visit the sick when they're sick? Visit them. Yes. He commanded all those things. And, and a, a whole lot of churches go, That's, here it is, guys. These are the commands of Jesus. Well, let's teach them to do this. But they conveniently leave out some of them because they don't believe it. What are they leaving out? Preach the gospel. We believe in that. Heal the sick. Drive out demons. That's what they're leaving out. We're not bringing the fullness of the kingdom. And so at a lot of Western European nations, we see a lot of Christians get saved. But because there's no deliverance ministry, the Holy Spirit's not giving the gift of discernment because people aren't believing for it. And even if they hadn't, they had it, they wouldn't use it because they don't know what it is because they don't believe in it. We don't believe in healing, so we don't pray for it. We don't believe for it. Well, not everybody that gets prayed for gets healed. Uh-huh. But a lot do, if you believe for it. And a lot of sickness and disease is demonic, actually. Not all of it. Some of it is, though. And so what you see in America and a lot of Western European nations is Christians. They get saved, so they're in the kingdom. But it's like they're prisoners of war. And the devil's like, oh, I still got them all bound up in unbelief, sickness, disease, strongholds, oppression of the devil. Then they feel shame over all that. They never confess it because a lot of pastors don't know what to do with it. I just pray for you. God help them. And nothing happens because we don't know how to pray with authority and faith. We don't know how to deal with demons. And so they sit in their bondage. They feel guilt and shame over it. And because of the guilt and shame and the bondage, they never bring the kingdom because they feel unworthy, which is another trap of the devil. And that's why a whole lot of Western churches are not bringing the kingdom, because we're missing out on two-thirds of Jesus' ministry. Everything I commanded you, he commanded them all of these things. I read a whole book on the commands of Jesus by a, a well-known Calvinist pastor, and it was really, really good, but he conveniently did not mention those commands mentioned all the he had 50 commands he mentioned all the commands except healing the sick driving out demons that's tragic it's tragic every single church well let me finish proving that to you so jesus said that to them now show me the verse where he said hold on guys some of the commands were just for the apostles but some of these more generic ones that are easier are for everybody else show me that verse there's no verse. There's no verse. King Jesus said, teach him everything I commanded you. Everything. That's his perspective. That's what he wants. Let's bring in the fullness of the kingdom. And we got to have faith for it before we can do it. On that note, it's a massive mistake 
to bring scripture down to our level of experience or lack thereof when we should by faith seek to bring our experience up to the level of what King Jesus commands. Mark chapter 9, we couldn't drive out a demon. They did something very wise. They did not make up reasons about why they couldn't do it and, and how that guy didn't have enough faith or why that's just not happening now. It was for a season. It's not for... We were doing it in Mark 6, but we can't do it in Mark 9. <laughs> That's not our fault. No, they did something wise. They asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And you know what Jesus said? It was your fault. That's what he said. Paraphrasing, right? You combine the two accounts. He said, because you have a lack of faith, and this kind was only coming out by prayer and fasting. So you got some things to learn. When we realize we have things to learn, we don't beat ourselves up. We just learn, and we grow. We go, all right, try it again next time. But again, a lot of Christians want to live in a bubble and believe demons aren't even real, and we can't heal people because it's easier. We don't have to grapple with, what if I pray and they don't get healed? You ask Jesus why they didn't get healed. That's what you do. But it's too hard. That's too hard. I just want to believe God's so sovereign that he'll do everything for me so I can just sit and watch TV and eat my popcorn and go to heaven one day. And that's what a lot of Christians are doing. But King Jesus demands more than that. There's a, there's a lost, dying world. And he wants his people fully free. He wants his people set free from the bondage of sickness, disease. He wants his people set free from demonic oppression. And so far be it from, from us to, to not preach the fullness of the gospel. Every single church in America should have a salvation ministry, of course, <laughs> a healing ministry, and a deliverance ministry. Every church should be equipped and know how to drive out demons. Jesus did it. I would say less, way less than 1% of churches know how to do that. And if you don't, it's just a fear thing and it's a lack of experience thing. That's all it is. Every Christian has the power and authority to do it. If you have the faith and you'll submit yourself to the training, you can do it. And every church should have a healing ministry. And again, let me prove it to you in Scripture, James 5, 14 through 16. If anyone's sick, let them call the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and pray, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That, that's a command in Scripture. And a promise from God, if you do this with faith, he'll heal them. Every church, we shouldn't be debating healing. It's in the Word. Why do some of the biggest churches that are like, we're the Bible, we're the Bible, we love the Bible, it's all about the Bible. Why don't they read James 5.16 and do it? That's a bad hermeneutic. That's bad hermeneutics. It's not intellectually honest with scripture interpretation. So, we got to bring the fullness of the kingdom. Or we'll be making prisoner of war camps. And that won't be effective. And the kingdom won't grow and spread. So, lastly, third point. 
People of the kingdom are those who bless and partner with others in the kingdom. Christians should not be territorial. It's, if it's the kingdom, it's the kingdom. The church is not synonymous with the kingdom. The kingdom is made up of all the Christians and churches on the planet. That's the kingdom. It's wherever Jesus is ruling and reigning hearts. So we should not be looking at the name on a church sign. We should be looking at the name that's written on someone's heart. That's it. So if a church or ministry claims Jesus as Lord, by the way, in their scriptures about that, didn't John say, this is how you test the spirits. It's real simple. Do they confess Jesus as Lord? Sovereign. Okay, then we know what spirit they're of. Are they right on every point of theology? Probably not. Neither are we. But they're part of the kingdom. We need to assume that. Jesus is Lord and scripture's the authoritative word of God. If a church or ministry believes those two things, we assume they're in the kingdom. So let me ask you this. Who believes those things? All Catholics and all over 33,000 Protestant denominations believe those things. Now, do you get some really weird Christian cults? Yes. How do you discern them? Do they diminish the person and work of Jesus? Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormon LDS, they diminish Jesus. Okay? Jehovah's Witness, he's not fully God. Mormon LDS, his blood does not cover all sins. Sorry, you're getting outside the kingdom now. Okay, not going to partner with that. That's cultish territory. Don't mess with the person and work of Jesus. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He is God in the flesh. I could show you a billion, a billion. That's a hyperbole. A lot of scriptures. A lot of scriptures that say that. He's the fullness of God in bodily form. Colossians. So we don't mess with that. But listen. Almost every single Protestant denomination says he's Lord. Scripture is authoritative. Catholics say that. So what are we fighting over? What causes quarrels and disputes among you? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? And we disagree on little things that don't matter. And we separate. Over things we, sh we should be reading Romans 14. And learning what disputable matters are, matters are versus non-disputable. What are disputable matters? The authority of scripture and the lordship of Jesus. And scripture says that all are yours in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're, you're, you're immature because you're arguing over spiritual leaders. Denominationalism didn't start in the 1500s with Luther. It started in first century with people arguing over Paul or Apollos, or Peter. And which one's more right? Well, I follow him. Well, I follow him. And then the non-denom guys were like, I follow Jesus, so I'm better than all of you. <laughs> I didn't put Church of Paul on my church sign. <laughs> so we're better. Paul gets to the end of chapter 3 where he's dismantling all that, and he goes, all are yours in Christ. There's another scripture that says we're not going to have full knowledge without unity. I wonder why the church is still squabbling. Because 
and this was the problem from Luther up until present day, but it's getting better in our generation. Denominationalism, it used to be like, if you're a Baptist and I'm a Presbyterian or I'm Wesleyan or I'm whatever, like, you're outside the kingdom. Like, only my church is going to be in heaven. So I can't associate with you. And what's tragic is a lot of denominations have their own strengths. If you grew up conservative Baptist that didn't believe in the gifts, you need to get friends with someone who grew up Pentecostal. If you grew up Pentecostal, you need to become friends with somebody who grew up conservative Baptist and didn't believe in the gifts. Why? Because stereotypically, if you grew up Pentecostal, you, you, you were full of the spirit at some point. Tragically, sometimes you were shamed if you weren't. That was bad. That was a bad thing. But we believe in the gifts. You've probably seen them. You've probably experienced them. You saw miracles probably growing up. But how well do you know the word? And your Baptist friend, quoting you scriptures all day long, he's got half the book memorized. He just never experienced the power and the gifts and the miracles. So you two need to be get real good friends. And you're going to learn a whole lot from each other. And you will learn a whole lot from each other. If you'll not buy into the satanic lie that I can't associate. I can't associate with them. Do you know Jesus taught on this? Mark chapter 9. And I, I, I want to set this up because the context matters. But it's right after they couldn't dry out the demon. And they're very humbled by that. Of course, they're embarrassed by that. And then they're walking on the road right after that to go somewhere. And Jesus hears them arguing. And when they get where they're going, he goes, what were you guys arguing about on the road? And none of them say anything. Because Jesus knew they were arguing about who was the greatest. It was probably Peter. You know, I was on the mountain with him. When we came down, I mean, if I'd been down with you guys, that demon would have been gone. All right. You're lucky Jesus was with me. If I came down by myself, we wouldn't have had a problem, guys. Bravado. Arguing about who's the greatest. Whatever it looked like. Jesus humbles them. He teaches them. He's like, guys, mm -mm. we don't do this. This isn't the kingdom. <laughs> greatest among you is a servant. Mm -mm. He brings a child among them. This, this right here. Become like this. So they're very humbled. They're very humbled. And in that moment of humility, I believe the Apostle John has a realization. Uh-oh, we screwed something else up when Jesus wasn't around. And so he confesses it, and he asks Jesus about it. Just like he asked Jesus about, why couldn't we draw out the demon? And it's Mark 9, 38. It says, teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop. Listen to the reason. Because he was not one of us. Now, he says we saw someone driving out demons, which means apparently the way it reads, he was doing it, and it was successful. They had just failed at driving out demons. Then they see someone doing it successfully, and they told him to stop. Why? Well, he's not one of us. And we think denominationalism started with Luther in the 1500s. He's not one of us. If any church had the right to say, we are the only ones who are right. 
And if you're not one of us, you're not going to heaven. I would argue it's the 12 original disciples of Jesus. And isn't this the reason that denominations separate so often out of jealousy and envy? And we see a church that's stronger in something in us or can do things we can't do or has faith we don't have and has seen God do things we've never done. And so we go, ooh, I don't know about that. I'm suspicious because, you know, they're successful. So then I look at my beliefs and their beliefs and I try to figure out where we're different. And I go, ah, there it is. They're wrong. We're the only ones who got to be careful with those ones. They're not one of us. And what does Jesus say to them? Does he say, you're right, guys. I'm glad you told them to stop. Shame on them for helping people get free of demons. No. He says, do not stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus said, if I drive out demons, it's by the finger of God. The kingdom has really come among you. So if someone's able to drive out a demon, it's not them. It's not their power. They believe in Jesus and his power is operating through them. And we know that's true because the sons of Sceva couldn't do it. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, not their Jesus. So God didn't honor that. You're not my, I'm not your God yet. You haven't submitted to Christ yet. I'm not helping you. (laughs) And they get their butts kicked. This guy believed in Jesus and was doing it. And Jesus said, don't stop him. Done studies on leadership about Jesus. He's a decentralized leader. He decentralizes his power and authority. In other words, he doesn't keep it to himself. He wants it in everybody. You mean, hold up, John. Somebody had enough faith to be driving out demons and it was working? Let him go. Guys, that's less work for you to do. The church down the street had 30 baptisms, awesome. We don't have to win those people to Christ. Praise God. It would be overwhelming if one church has to do everything. And I'm just telling you, we're not gonna see the fullness of the kingdom come in the nations across the earth unless we learn how to partner with other churches and ministries, even and especially those we may not agree on on everything. Now, you tell me any church, you tell me any denomination, Catholic or Protestant, and I can tell you where I'm going to disagree with them. I can do that. I've studied enough. I've learned enough. I've sat with enough. But I just know it's not the heart of Jesus to do that. The heart of Jesus is fish and bones. I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to eat the fish. I'm going to eat the good meat that they have, the things God's taught them, the revelations Jesus has given them, and I'm going to spit out the bones. It's that simple. And so that should be our mindset as Christian people. It's a king, that's why we call it a kingdom mindset. It's not just about one church or one flavor of church or one tribe of church. And tribes are great. Tribes are great. They help get things done. You know, partnering together in greater ways with people you fully resonate with. You know, that's awesome. But we need to be willing to partner with those that we're very, very different than. And, uh, yeah, I'll tell you one, one quick story, and then we'll be done. Uh, a little over a year ago, no, maybe a couple years ago, I don't know, we had started our house of prayer, so it was late 2022, I think. And um, this one day, a couple of Catholics from Adams County came, 
and one's a real powerful Catholic leader. He wasn't a priest, but he's a leader and uh, full of the Holy Spirit. And one of these, I don't know if she was technically a nun, but just a servant in the church, very consecrated lady came with him, older lady. And uh, they came in and they said, hey, we heard about you guys. We just want to bless you and partner. And can we come in and pray? I'm like, awesome. And these are spirit-filled Catholics. I'm like, this is cool. And we were praying. And the older lady starts speaking in tongues. And I'm just like, this is cool. And then uh, the, the leader guy, he goes, he goes, now, sister, now, is this, are you just praying in tongues? Or is this a word on tongues? And he goes, she goes, well, you know, brother, I really feel like it's a word in tongues. And he goes, you know, sister, I really was feeling the same thing. So she, she just keeps going. And we all sit there. And then he raises up and he gives an interpretation. And it was just really awesome. I was like, this is so cool. And then before he left, they prayed over me. such a blessing. And he prophesied something. And I didn't remember this till last night. He said, when I was walking in this building, I saw these apartments behind you guys. And he said, I have a word for you. He said, I see your church taking groceries to this apartment complex back here. And he's like, someday you're going to do that. And I'm just kind of like, all right. And I've learned when those things happen, I go, cool. I say, I put it in my back pocket. It's not on me to make it happen, right? So we'll just see. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. I felt a lot of life on it. Cool. And then Troy, who plays guitar with us uh, up here, he's been helping coordinate some of our outreach and stuff lately. And we were talking about that last, late last year. And Troy goes, you know, I just got this idea. These, what, let's just start right next to our church, these apartments. Let's do this blessing block party. You know, what if we just, like, gave groceries to people? And I'm like, cool. Awesome. So we did it. We did it, church. And last night as I'm preaching, I'm like, hold up. <laughs> Spirit-filled Catholic man gave a prophetic word. This is what God wants to do in this church, through this church. Wow. That's pretty cool. Now, I'll tell you this. And this is interesting to me. Even people in our, in our own tribe, so to speak, or uh, people from different denominations that I've met, no matter what they are, the ones I resonate with the most are the spirit-filled Christians. I meet some spirit-filled Catholics, and I'm like, whoa, there's resonance here. There's a fellowship here that's deep. I meet spirit-filled Baptists, and it's the same way. I meet, I meet classic Pentecostals, and I'm like, you guys scare me a little, but I really... <laughs> I resonate, you know. <laughs> but spirit-filled people of all walks, I'm like, this is awesome. And you know, it's because the Apostle Paul said we were all given one. You know that one Lord, one faith, one baptism? He says we were all baptized by one spirit. All growing up, I read that as we all got baptized in water. Early church, he's like, no, everybody got baptized in the Holy Spirit. So there is a oneness, one heart, one mind, because they were full of the Holy Spirit. And I believe what's going to bring the fullness of unity, John 17 will be answered in, in the earth before the return of Christ, the unity of the church. How can I say that with absolute confidence? Because it was a prayer of Jesus, and Jesus always gets what he prays for. So it's going to happen. 
The splintering needed to happen because the Catholic, there was so much corruption. So the splintering happened. It's like a tree. The branches go out everywhere. The yeast goes out everywhere. And then as we near the end of days, there's a coming together of the church worldwide. It's going to happen. And it's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Church is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's going to happen through persecution. Jesus said at the end, Matthew 24, you'll be hated by all nations because of me. All people who truly bear the name of Jesus. And in Syria, Iraq, they don't care if you're Catholic or Protestant. You're getting that little in for Nazarene on your door and we're going to kill you. And so in those countries, they don't care if I'm Baptist or you're Catholic or whatever. We need to help each other. Same team. And so persecution and the move of the Holy Spirit is going to bring the church together. It's going to happen. We still need to pray for it. And we still need to, if we have strongholds and we won't allow it, then it won't come in our in our midst. So we have our part to play to co-labor with what Jesus wants. So we're people of the kingdom. And that means we need to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. We're people who bring the fullness of the kingdom. And we're people who bless and partner with other churches and ministries and Christians in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. God, I just thank you for our time together today. (sighs) Father, we hallow your name today. You are the God and Father of all. Every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from you. So there's one Father and there is one King overall, and it's you, King Jesus. It's you, King Jesus. So we confess you as King of kings, Lord of lords. We hallow your name. And under that one name, we declare this today, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. And God, I think that's just too generic for us today. Because if it comes on the earth, but not in our region, in our territory, what a tragedy. So I say your kingdom come, God. Your will be done in my family as it is in heaven. God, I say your kingdom come and your will be done in free people church as it is in heaven. Jesus, we say today, your kingdom come, your will be done in Mount Orb, Ohio, as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in southwestern Ohio, as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in America, as it is in heaven. It is not too late for this nation. But Lord, we need repentance. We need revival. We need Christians to stop rebelling against you, King Jesus, and to live under your authority and rule and obey your commands and partner with each other and bring the fullness of the kingdom. So I ask right now, Jesus, man, I, I just say right now, I repent. I repent for any way that I have not lived under your rule and reign, any way I've given into people or strongholds or thoughts that were not scripture that have stopped you from ruling my heart, that have stopped you from coming in my life and in my family and in this church. 
We repent right now, Jesus. We lay it on the altar. We lay it all down. We lay down our lives for you, King Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about me building my American dream kingdom, my American dream Christian kingdom. Deliver us of this lie and this stronghold, Jesus. Forgive us for prostituting your lordship to make it about us. Forgive us for committing adultery on you, Jesus. Forgive us, God. Forgive your church. God, show grace. Illuminate our hearts. Show us where we've been doing that. Convict, convict us. I pray conviction. I pray conviction. We need the fear of God back in the church. I pray the fear of God and holy conviction on our church. I pray the fear of God and holy conviction on the church in America, across this region, across this region, across this region. I pray the holy fear of God and conviction on pastors and leaders in this region. I pray it falls on them as they read their Bibles this week and they are convicted and they go, I can no longer stand by while we are not doing these things, while we are propagating things that are not of God. I can't do it. I pray for holy division in the church. Holy division. Paul said there must be divisions among you to prove who's in the right. And where there are strongholds, there must be divisions. The strongholds must be cut. Ties must be cut with strongholds and ideologies that are not of you. And I ask for that. I ask for holy conviction, fear of the Lord, and and bold courage for pastors and elders and leaders in churches across this region to bring that about. I ask for repentance. And God, we need humility. We need humility. I ask for humility. Help us to humble ourselves. Because it takes humility to go, hey, guess what? I was wrong. Hey, guess what? We, we actually need to be doing this. We need to believe this. We need to go after this. So I thank you for that, God. I thank you for your graciousness. When we're humble, you pour out grace and favor. But you resist the proud. So we humble ourselves before you. And I just say, and I would invite this whole church, I'd invite all y'all to say this with me. God, if I've been wrong anywhere, would you please show me? Would you point it out? And would you convict my heart? That's a good prayer. Because if we are wrong anywhere, we want him to do that. And so God, search us and know us. Expose those places. And I pray we'll be humble to confess and repent. To get right with you. When we, when we sin against brothers and sisters or other churches, we can go to them and say, hey, I'm so sorry. God showed me this this week. I'm sorry. God, forgive us for any time we've ever spoke word curses against other churches or the ways of belief. Or maybe we saw one denomination or type of church that was really bad. There was a lot of maybe bad leadership there and a lot of sin there. And so, and so we wrote the whole denomination. Oh, that, that whole way of thinking is bad. You know, all this denomination is terrible and, and, and of the devil. And God, just forgive us for that. There's bad apples in every patch, as they say. And uh, just forgive us of that. We renounce our sins. We renounce our word curses. God, forgive us, Jesus. God, please, in the holy fear of God, keep us from blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And maybe, I pray you, Holy Spirit, would guard our tongues and our mouths and our hearts to far be it from us to look at 
something going on in another church or place and go, well, that's not God. How do we know? How do you know that? How are we so sure of that? So give us that humility, God. Give us that humility. Give us wisdom. But God, fill us with bold courage to bring your kingdom because your word says it's forcefully advancing and forceful people lay hold of it. And if we're going to lay hold of your kingdom, we're going to have to push back against the lies of the enemy, against principalities and powers, and at times against people who are trying to pressure us uh, from bringing your kingdom. And God, we just ask, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's okay. Forgive them, God. But we're going to bring your kingdom. We ask your grace on them, but it will not deter us from doing what we are called to do. Just like the Apostle Paul on his missionary trips, all that resistance didn't stop him. So I thank you for that, Jesus. I ask for powerful teachers and leaders to raise up in your body to refute the Pharisees in public, to refute Pharisaical teachings in public, using the scriptures, using the Bible, reasoning from the scriptures that you're alive and well, Jesus, that you're working in your church and everything we read in scripture is for today and we desperately need the power of your Holy Spirit working. So I ask for that across this nation. Raise them up. And I ask you to raise them up in every denomination. I ask you to raise them up in the Catholic Church, the Baptist churches, the Wesleyan churches, all the denomination gods. God, I pray for a great revival in the churches that started with revival, the Lutheran churches, the Wesleyan churches, born out of revival. I pray that you would bring revival again across denominations, God, across denominations, across the world. Thank you, Jesus. Wake us up. Wake us up. Let us be your ambassadors in your fullness, God. And may we never be ashamed of the gospel. May we never be ashamed of the gospel. May we never be ashamed of the Holy Spirit. May we never be ashamed of the power of God. Because this is what we're called to represent. So we're going to look different. Light looks different than dark. It should. May we never be ashamed for being light in a world that doesn't understand it, so they hate it. It's okay. We ask you forgive them, and we keep shining until they realize it's not us. It's Jesus, and we need him too. So we ask for that in this region. Help us bring your kingdom, God. Help us bring your kingdom. We love you. We love you, King Jesus. You are our king, and we put you on your rightful place today, on your rightful throne in our hearts. We love you, and it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.